I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The pandemic is costing this country billions. Actually, hundreds of billions with billions more to come at a time when the economy is, to put it mildly, not doing very well. So there are moments in this crisis when it's felt quite strange that there has been this fierce debate in the news and among politicians about millions of pounds. Those millions being the money that the government has spent frantically trying to get hold of personal protective equipment, PPE, the masks and gowns and visors that help keep people safe from the virus. To be clear, the government has spent billions on PPE as well, but the stories that have made the headlines have been smaller, like the one about a middleman in a deal who picked up about 21 million quid. Partly, I think it's just human nature that we focus on individuals. We hate the thought of somebody getting rich when so many of us are having such a hard time. But I also think it's partly something that comes from the damage of how political debate is done these days. It's not enough to say that our political opponents are useless or incompetent. The only way to really cut through is to call them corrupt. Just look at what Donald Trump did to Hillary Clinton and has tried to do to Joe Biden. Hillary Clinton may be the most corrupt person ever to seek the presidency of the United States. And we've learned over the last couple of months, Joe Biden is a corrupt politician. He's a corrupt politician. But on the other hand, of course, if it is true that some people have set about profiting from this crisis, and if it is true that people in government or connected to government have helped them, then that's a proper story, one we should really care about. It's hard to cut through the chaos of those early days of the pandemic and figure out what was really going on. But that's what we're going to do in this slow newscast. I'm Basha Cummings, and this week, we're going to try to understand the lines between corruption, cronyism, and just garden variety incompetence. I'm joined by my colleague, the great Chris Cook, who's spent weeks digging into PPE contracts don't feel sorry for him because he loves it. And what he's come back with is a really interesting story, one that helps us figure out what might have been going on behind the scenes. Slow News is a podcast made by us here at Tortoise. We're a news publisher, in an app, online, in our daily SenseMaker email and, as you already know, in podcasts. What's different about us is that we investigate what's driving the news. 
and we'd love you to join us. By becoming a member of our newsroom, you'll get access to our journalism and you can join our open news meetings and help decide what matters in the world and how we should report it. To get access to all of Tortoise, all you have to do is download the Tortoise app, now available in the iOS or Google Play Store, and take a free trial. So let's start here. There's one thing we don't need to argue about. On PPE contracts, corners were cut. The normal rules that the government has to follow when it's spending money went out the window. Usually, it has to be completely clear that there are no conflicts of interest between civil servants who are buying the stuff and the people that they're buying it from. Normally, they have to show that they've got the best value for money. None of that happened this year after coronavirus hit, and that in itself is okay. The government is allowed to suspend the rules in an emergency, which coronavirus undoubtedly is. And we know, thanks to two National Audit Office reports, that we massively overpaid for this gear. The government auditors have concluded that Britain paid £12.5 billion for goods that just a year ago would have cost £2.5 billion. We know that there were special channels for VIP businesses. Civil servants were fast-tracking bids to offer PPE that had been recommended by certain ministerial offices. The big question that the government just can't get rid of is this. Did people in government just cut corners to help this country get its hands on desperately needed stocks of protective equipment? Were they just doing whatever it takes? Or did they cut corners to help their friends? So let's go back to April, that terrible month when things were just chaos. Governments were accusing each other, hospitals were running out of crucial supplies and thousands of people were dying. The panic was palpable. The United Kingdom has now recorded Europe's highest number of deaths linked to coronavirus. Uh, We are aware of reports uh, yesterday and this morning that supplies of personal protective equipment to care homes in Scotland are being diverted to England. Medicom also produces in China, France and Taiwan, where products there have been requisitioned by the local government for use in those countries. We've had issues of our orders being relocated by suppliers in China. Uh, For example, we had isolation gowns that were on their way to San Francisco and they were diverted uh, to France. I'm also signing a directive invoking the Defense Production Act to prohibit export of scarce health and medical supplies by unscrupulous actors and profiteers. Last month, in a thinking in our newsroom, which is what we call our version of an editorial conference, we heard from a man called Jacob, the chief executive of Falk, a large European healthcare provider. The picture on their side of the fence was just as stark. It was hectic is one word, and and it was a it was a period of time where we tried to figure out what is going to be the biggest obstacle to maintaining the uh, critical infrastructure, uh, health infrastructure, and that market, within literally days, started heating up. Sort of civilized in the beginning, but then it just got worse and worse. So every time we closed the contract, we might uh, realize that some government had uh, basically uh, just taken over the shipment and, and uh, so that we wouldn't receive it. So, as I said, it, decisions had to be made a little within hours and some of the prices on simple, uh, simple uh, issues like masks and so on went to, I mean, astronomical numbers. It was a situation where I think there was nothing that was even close to normal. And 
And uh, some of the bigger shipments of, of personal protection equipment in Denmark actually came in via one of the big uh, fashion and clothing uh, retail uh, companies uh, that that's Danish and operates around uh, China. So no, it was it was uh, it was connections and and nothing was normal at that point in time. Nothing was normal. Nothing is normal. But after the first wave of chaos, help started to come from unexpected places. And in fact, today I can report. Uh, that a very large consignment of PPE is due to arrive in the UK uh, tomorrow from Turkey, which amounts to 84 tonnes of uh, PPE. And will include for- China sent huge shipments of PPE to Europe and America. Manufacturers began totally rebuilding their production lines to produce more PPE. And after the first wave, the government finally had a moment that it could begin to look ahead. And the question of what they did next is crucial if we're trying to understand how well they behaved in this pandemic. So I want to come to Jolian Morm, a barrister and the founder of the Good Law Project, a group that fights the government in the courts. Jolian began looking into some of the big government contracts allocated during the pandemic. Good Law Project got involved in this back in late June, I think. And we didn't really understand um, what we were doing then. And we brought three cases. It wouldn't be true to say that we picked them out at random, but nor did we have any sort of ability to tell a good one from a bad one. And each of those cases is absolutely remarkable. So um, the least offensive of the three is um, the purchase of £108 million of gowns from an Irish um, confectioner called Clanboy. That's the least remarkable. And in relation to that case, although we haven't yet had any real disclosure from government, we know that confectionery wholesaler was rated red by government for financial sustainability. For Jolian, that panic back in April was causing some really bad decisions, partly, of course, because of the panic, and partly because... Well, there was just a lack of understanding. What we ended up with was this extraordinary free-for-all of people um, with no experience in the market being given contracts, sometimes for many hundreds of millions of pounds, to supply product that um, they didn't understand and that government purchasing from them did not understand either. And there's compelling evidence of overpayment, substantial overpayment by government uh, and faulty supplies. And this is where my colleague Chris Cook comes in. He investigated one big contract in particular. Hi, Chris. Hello. Nice to see you. Nice Nice to to be in a room with you for the first time in months. Months and months. Okay. It's a remarkable story that takes us from China to the Isle of Man to London. It taps into all of these problems that both Jacob and Jolian have mentioned. And it leaves us with some really big questions. So we've been looking at one contract in particular, really, to sort of help understand how we've got to where we've got to. Mm-hmm. So the contracts we've looked at are contracts between the Department of Health and a company called uh, PPE MedPro, which is, as the name suggests, a PPE company. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look on its website, it says it's the go-to company for quality and safety conscious buyers wanting to react to rapid market demand. And their product range, they say, is specifically developed to address the urgent need for high-quality, low-cost personal protection products. And it won two really big contracts. So on June the 12th, it won a masks contract for £81 million. And a second, even bigger contract, 
uh, on June 25th for gowns for 122 million. Wow. So that's about 200 million pounds of contracts that it won. And that second contract, the gowns contract, is a really huge contract. Mm-hmm. So that's about 20 million gowns in total. To put that in context, since the end of February, the NHS supply chain has delivered about 10 million gowns in total. So PPE MedPro is being asked to supply basically more than twice of what the NHS has used in gowns during the pandemic. And these, these contracts are being delivered in June, right? So this is these are late contracts. If you look in the government's own documentation, it's listed as a large supplier, which it definitely is. But actually, if you start at the top, things look a bit different. So, you know, we rang the number on the website. PPE Medpro, how can I help you? Hiya, um, can I ask where you are physically? Oh. <laughs> um, I've, I've just, um, the, is this an answering service? Yes, due to reception for PPE Medpro, um, may I take your name please? Sure, my name is Chris. Um, I'm just actually, I'm just wondering whether this is a, this is an answering service or whether you're actually in the building. Okay. Um, if I can take your surname, Chris. Sure, it's Cook. Thank you. And um, if I can uh, take the name of your company you're calling from? Sure, it's Tortoise. I, I was actually just wondering if you were a, an answering service or whether you were actually in the reception at Great Portland Street. Right, I'm in the reception for PPE Med. Med Pro. So, I think I've got my answer. I was actually just trying to work out whether you were an answering service or whether there was someone in the building. Okay. Um, right. And can I help you in any other way? No, that's fine. That's fine. Thanks ever so much. Okay. Right. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. You get through to what I was pretty sure was basically one of those remote secretarial services, you know, an answering service. So that's quite odd, right? If you look on their website and their corporate information, they also list two addresses. So one of them is on High Hoban, so by Chancellery Lane Tube Station, quite a posh address. That's actually just their accountants. Mm-hmm. The other is listed as a sales office, and that's actually an address above a stationery shop. And actually, when I went there physically, I couldn't see any trace of it on the ground. So here's the thing, right? So this company, which got £200 million of contracts in June, was actually founded on the 12th of May. It had Two directors at the start, both residents of the Isle of Man, and it doesn't really have any kind of permanent office in the UK. I want to pause here and step back. This is a company being awarded a huge contract to provide gowns in June to provide double what we've actually ended up using during this pandemic year. And the critical detail here is that PPE MedPro, the supposedly specialist PPE supply company, was only a month old. To put this into context, around the time that Boris Johnson was announcing plans to phase out of lockdown one, these guys were getting together to create this new company, PPE MedPro, and almost immediately they won over 200 million pounds of contracts. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Have to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. The risks posed by AI range from bias in decision-making to misinformation and the misuse of personal information, all at an unprecedented scale. Nearly a quarter of UK businesses understand that the regulatory landscape is changing fast, and nearly half are tracking new regulatory guidance to be responsive to emerging best practice. The EY Responsible AI Service helps organisations innovate safely providing confidence that AI and generative AI technologies are developed and managed ethically, transparently and sustainably, and that potential regulatory and reputational risks are identified and mitigated. Discover how you can create a better working world with AI by going to ey.ai. So when we wrote to them, their lawyers told us that the people behind this company had 40 years of experience in this sort of procurement, and actually... They told us they had been asked to set up this new company as a vehicle for this specific purpose by the government. Now, that's quite striking. I've asked why the government would want a company to do this, and I haven't got a reply. Um, They also don't say in the letter who's actually behind the company. Now, if you look through the paperwork, you can see that one of the two founding directors is a man called Anthony Page. So I emailed him, and he wrote back, and he had that high Hoban address in his email signature. But actually, if you look at the underlying data hidden in the email, you can see he was actually on the Isle of Man when he sent it to me. You see, he's an employee, along with the other original director, of something called the Knox House Trust, which is an Isle of Man-based company. And it's one that's associated with Doug Barrowman, who is a rather grand businessman. Now, when we when we wrote to PP MedPro, we didn't ask them about donations to the Tory party, but they did spontaneously tell me that neither the month-old company nor its officers had ever given any money to the party. Um, the thing is, there is a pretty obvious link between this group of people and the Conservative Party. Doug Barrowman is newly married, uh, as of literally you know the past fortnight. He's married to Michelle Moan, better known as Baroness Moan. Oh, after the big day, we've now got our wedding brunch. Oh, it looks beautiful. And the whole house is packed with flowers. I've never seen so many flowers. That's one of Michelle's Instagram stories sharing her wedding videos and pictures. Michelle is a lingerie magnate and a conservative peer. So... What did the government get for its money? So I've got paperwork that shows that the government made dozens of separate payments to PPE MedPro. And to be clear, those are payments that only went out as the stuff actually turned up. So, you know, what that shows is, yes, we can prove that they delivered the consignments. The thing is, the gowns obviously weren't made here. They weren't made in that 
office in High Hoban. They weren't made above a stationery shop on Great Portland Street. Um, they come from two factories in China. And now I asked one of the factories, which was responsible for supplying 13 million of the gowns, how much it would have cost to buy those gowns back in June. And a salesperson told me it costs no more than $2.42 each for their normal gowns, even if you weren't placing a mammoth order, right? $2.42. They have a posher gown, which comes in at $3.10 per gown. And again, that's before any sort of bulk discount. So the most expensive gown they're offering, they told me, was about $3.10. The price being paid by the British taxpayer is between about $4.10 and $4.90 across those 13 million gowns. So that's quite a big gap. Now, it's possible that PP MedPro is paying for other stuff as well. So there's maybe some testing and accreditation we don't know about. There would be probably a bit of transport cost. They won't tell us. But the thing is, it's not transport back to the UK. This contract is actually a contract to deliver the goods within China to another company called Uniserv, which was going to ship it back to Britain. So the gap between the factory price and what we paid is quite large. We don't know what the other costs it had to cover were, but they seem you know, it's still very, very large. Now, PPE MedPro say they were charging on average 50 to 80% less than uh, similar suppliers. Now, I, I'm not sure that's quite uh, how I would put it. They are actually slightly cheaper per gown than the amount that was being paid at the beginning of June by the British government. But for Chinese-made PPE in particular, they're certainly not on the sort of cheaper end. I should also point out, by the way, that the amount that Britain was paying for per gown uh, on average in June was about four times what had been being paid the previous year. So there were you know, very large markups going on as the world raced to buy PPE. And you might be thinking, OK, so the government got their shipment, this company delivered. So why does this matter? It's a thought that's crossed my mind, too. And Jolien explains it really well. Very little of it really makes any sense. I mean, perhaps the most striking feature of all is that these gowns were bought at a moment in which we had already purchased around 70 million gowns. Uh, we then buy these further gowns from PPE MedPro, but um, we already have 70 million, um, as it were, metaphorically on the plane. Why do we need more? You need to remember that in the entirety of the pandemic to date, we've only consumed something like 11 or 12 million gowns. We have 70 million already. Why are we buying uh, far more at what looks like a massive overprice um, from a company connected to uh, a Tory peer that's made substantial donations, um, or at least group companies have made substantial donations to the, to the Conservative Party. It has no experience, has no financial track record. It couldn't pass any sustainability checks. I mean, the whole thing is just absolutely mind-blowing. The government has undoubtedly had issues with buying stuff in this crisis. The scale of the contracts and who gets them and how and what they deliver and the quality of it. So what the story of PPE MedPro, this month-old company, demonstrates is just how people took advantage of this. But this was a problem years in the making. It doesn't start and end with the pandemic. Five years ago, people in government who worried about this stuff were worrying about whether they should set up basically a British front office in China. Other countries do this mm -hmm. because we buy huge amounts of stuff, even in a normal year. And, you know, we wanted to be able to, we should have been able to buy directly and cut out a lot of middlemen. We didn't do that. So lacking that capacity during the crisis, 
we ended up turning to people without track records, just anyone who knew someone in China. I think we haven't heard any issues with PPE MedPro's kit, but the issues with the paperwork show up some of the problems and how other people's kit might have slipped through unnoticed, right? So the fact that stuff is being bought without ideal paperwork may explain why we've heard these stories from clinicians about opening boxes and finding masks and gowns that clearly don't meet the requirements, right? So in some cases, we've heard of boxes being full of dirty kit. Mm -hmm. In other cases, they're clearly not quite what was asked for. There is still a serious shortage of PPE. We've just been told to close our eyes when any patient coughs. We're getting lots of supplies of PPE, but now it seems like a lot of it is substandard and inappropriate. The government spent £150 million on 50 million face masks that can't be used by the NHS because of concerns that they don't fit properly. Labour has called... The other thing that's really strange about the PPE MedPro decision, though, is that this is just an enormously large shipment. It's just actually not clear why we bought so much. We've bought enough for two years of full-on pandemic and paid for it all. And I don't know why. And from a company that was only a month old at the time. Yeah, exactly. And had no track record. Exactly. And has no office. Exactly. Got it. I think with PPE MedPro in particular, right, there are two big questions, right? The first is, why are we still doing this in late June? The second is, why were we buying so much? Why was this order so gargantuan? Mm. And actually, the third thing is, why were we not prepared? Like, why had we? Why were we in this position where five years after... DH officials were sort of talking about maybe we need to be able to go direct to source to these companies. Why are we still having to sort of ring round anyone who knew anyone in China? Why were we so ill-prepared? Mm. And I think that speaks to a bigger problem with the British state and about its inability to think beyond the next turn. People who think that there's a conspiracy in any of what has happened with the pandemic should look at what's happened with, with PPE, right? Mm. We can't, like, the NHS is very bad at buying hospital gowns and tongue depressors. It is not going to be able to mount a uh, conspiracy to destroy your freedoms. This is a story that leaves us with some big questions. Was this incompetence or a necessary risk? Should the government have been better prepared and could they have been better prepared? Jolien says the elements of this are forgivable, the urgency, for example, but the lack of transparency and the inability, as Chris has shown, to get answers from the Department of Health to straightforward questions creates an air of suspicion. When you can't get answers and the government is unwilling to give them to you, it's obvious that accusations of corruption arise. If the context is clearly a mitigating factor, why hide the rest? There is that sort of kernel of truth in government's defence. But um, that kernel of truth doesn't explain the uh, forest of maize with which we are confronted. So you have massive, massive, massive over-purchasing. Five years or more of supply purchase. So by my calculations, we bought 36 years worth of supply of a product called an isolation suit. We didn't just buy far more than we needed to. We bought it without any sort of competitive price or quality process. And so we are going to learn this I have absolutely no doubt, that a very significant proportion, I would expect, I would expect a majority of the PPE that we bought not to be fit for purchase. The vast majority of contracts that we entered into, if we had perfect transparency, 
will be bad contracts for good reasons. But most of that stuff, with one proviso I want to come back to, will be a function of um, incompetence rather than corruption. But there will also be a, a class of case where um, there is corruption. There are uh, lots and lots and lots of stories, some from really uh, plausible sources about um, contracts that were corrupt, i.e. those close to government ministers asking for kickbacks in order for contracts to be awarded. And some of those stories that I've heard are from sources that I regard as being absolutely impeccable. If you have a sort of an iconoclastic attitude towards good governance, towards good process in government, i.e. just get it through the door, right? Doesn't matter about anything else. We just need the PPE. You create an environment in which corruption can flourish because people are not empowered, are not enabled to ask questions about whether this is a transaction we really ought to be doing. This is an open-ended story, of course, even as we see light at the end of the tunnel with the arrival of a vaccine. And it's open-ended because as we try to mark those lines between corruption and cronyism and incompetence, you also begin to see that actually there are other parts of this pandemic that might also have provided cover for wrongdoing. Other parts, other things that perhaps are far worse than what went wrong with PPE. It's a point that my colleague Kerry made in our recent thinking, that editorial meeting on this subject. He said, it's easier to point the finger at companies like PPE MedPro because they have a human face, kind of, a human front it's much harder to make sense of the bigger systemic fraud that might also be happening. For example, on the coronavirus bounce-back loans. It's interesting, isn't it, which of those weak processes we care about? Because um, I was looking at some figures that came out a week or two back from the British Business Bank. They Now, they looked at the bounce-back loan scheme, which, as you will know, is the kind of smaller of the government loan schemes that, um, that lend to businesses in trouble. And by the end of October, the British Business Bank had found 27,000 fraudulent applications for bounce-back loans with a value, if they'd gone through, of £1.1 billion. Um, and I suspect that those are likely to be a minority of the fraudulent applications that were made, that much more than £1.1 billion would have been, would have been sucked out of that, of that scheme by, you know, by who knows who. Um, we, are, we are obsessed with a bloke in Florida who gets 21 million quid, there's been so little coverage of the 1.1, you know, of the huge leakage from the, the government loan schemes to business. And sorry, the, the reason I'm going off on this is because I wonder how much of this is to do with a tendency these days to paint political opponents as inherently corrupt and malign. You know, that's a pattern you see around the world, whilst we're busily turning a blind eye to, to where the real money is leaking out of the system. But that might be a story for another time. So given that this is an open-ended story, I'm going to go old-school broadcaster on you now and end by saying more when we have it. Thanks for listening this week. Thanks 
Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I think there's a really good chance that you'll enjoy all of the other journalism that we do at Tortoise. There are articles that you can read through our app and online. And because we're an open newsroom, there are a whole load of editorial meetings that you can join in on from wherever you are in the world. You can shape our journalism and the stories that we tell. So just get our app and you can get access to everything that we do. Oh, and of course, just as importantly, if you like this podcast, then do share it or give us a review. Thanks and see you next week. Hello, it's Tomini from Tortoise. This podcast is sponsored by EY. UK business leaders are quietly confident that better times are coming. More than half of those who responded to the recent EY CEO Outlook survey believe their profitability would increase in 2024. As businesses look to the future, transformation is clearly front and centre on the 2024 CEO agenda, with the vast majority of leaders planning to maintain or accelerate their transformational change in 2024. With 76% of CEOs in agreement that AI will deliver transformative efficiency benefits to their organisation, how can AI be put to use to enhance innovation efforts? Find out how integrating AI into your business could minimise the negative impacts on the workforce, boost productivity and improve overall employee experience by reading the full report at ey.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. We're supposed to learn from our own mistakes, but other people's errors can be instructive too. From efforts to control the weather that went disastrously awry to the untimely death of the Segway boss, history is a treasure trove of mishaps and meltdowns that can teach us all. I'm Tim Harford, host of Cautionary Tales, the podcast that mines the greatest fiascos of the past for their most valuable lessons. Listen to Cautionary Tales wherever you get your podcasts.